Cause we got the alternative energy right. For a nuclear free autonomy And welcome to the Radioactive Show Produced at the studios of 3CR Melbourne And heard nationally on the Community Radio Network Hello, I'm Emma Crunch And I'm bringing you the Radioactive Show On today's show, we commemorate the life of Yankunjara elder and nuclear-free leader, Yami Lester, who sadly passed away last week. Please note that, with family permission, we will be playing recordings of Yami Lester's voice later in the episode. First, though, I want to share with listeners a discussion with Tim Wright, Campaign Director of ICANN, the International Campaign Against Nuclear Weapons about the recent creation of an international treaty which bans nuclear weapons. This was finalised in July 2017 in New York. And Tim, first of all, congratulations are in order. Um, You're just back from New York where you've been campaigning for a treaty ban on nuclear weapons and... I would like if you can explain for us what was achieved in New York and also how it felt to see some of your and ICANN's hard work coming to fruition. Yeah, thanks very much. Uh, It was an incredible moment when around two-thirds of the world's governments voted to adopt the UN Treaty on the Prohibition of Nuclear Weapons. Uh, And as you said, this is something that we've been Uh, campaigning for uh, over many years, Uh, around a decade, ICANN has existed and uh, has been calling on governments to negotiate this uh, agreement and finally it's happened. Mm. Um, So we're in New York for for five weeks, um, going through the draft treaty paragraph by paragraph, trying to reach agreement uh, on the various aspects of the draft and uh, we're really pleased with the Result, we saw the treaty strengthened over that period um, and then 122 uh, governments voted to adopt it. Okay. Um, yeah. Because there have been a number, we have been following the negotiations in the lead-up um, and it was expected that the treaty would probably pass at, this, at these negotiations, as I take it. But how was, um, I guess, the feeling or the optimism around the treaty coming into force, and then also, I guess, the realism of it must have been in the context of media hype about North Korea and the US and in some ways also a very hostile environment. Um, How was that experienced at the conference? Yeah, well, no one's under any illusions about the challenges that we still face, Um, but I think that we recognise that uh, this in itself is a really significant achievement, the fact that so many countries uh, came together and were willing to declare that nuclear weapons are clearly illegal to use and to produce and possess. Um, That's a really important step forward and Mm. helps to put us on the path to a nuclear weapon-free world. Um, But it's in the context of these um, tensions on the Korean Peninsula um, but not only that, all nine nuclear-armed states are pursuing programs to build up and modernise their arsenals, mm. uh, and they've got no kind of plans in place to uh, pursue disarmament. So this is about putting pressure on them to change their attitudes uh, and to really get the rest of the world working together to uh, build um, a, a kind of the framework 
for achieving elimination. Mm. Uh, so many, many challenges ahead, absolutely, but uh, this is an important starting point. Mm. And so when you say that the treaty was strengthened, um, what what would you highlight as the really strong points of it or the, the standout text that you're happy with? Um, there were significant improvements made to the provisions on victim assistance and environmental remediation. Mm-hmm. Uh, so initially the treaty just said that basically if you can, then you should provide for victims of nuclear weapons uh, and same with uh, the remediation of environments contaminated by the use or testing of nuclear weapons, mm. uh, whereas now it's a very clear uh, obligation on all of the states that join this treaty to uh, assist those that are affected. Um, and of course, this has uh, particular relevance to Australia, given that there were nuclear tests conducted here mm. uh, in the 1950s and 60s, um, as well as some of our neighbours in the Pacific who have also suffered um, the terrible consequences of years of nuclear testing. We need to ensure that the people who are still suffering the results of those tests are properly cared for and that the proper steps be taken towards remediating the environment. Mm. You're listening to The Radioactive Show and I'm speaking to Tim Wright, Campaign Director with the International Campaign Against Nuclear Weapons, and we're discussing the very recent ban on nuclear weapons that was finalised in New York. So as you said, there, of course, there have been nuclear tests here in Australia, but however, was Australia one of the countries to sign on? And what do you see as ICANN's work, I guess, going forward and particularly in Australia? No, very, unfortunately, Australia boycotted the negotiations. Uh, so there was no official representation uh, from uh, the Australian government. We, of course, had many Australian civil society voices, mm. um, people from ICANN present throughout. Um, we had uh, in- Indigenous nuclear test survivors speaking at both of the sessions. Uh, there was an earlier session in March where Sue Coleman-Hasseldine spoke uh, and then Karina Lester spoke at the uh, June and July session. Mm. So very strong um, voices uh, from you know, the Australian people, but not uh, the Australian government. And the reason our government boycotted the negotiations was that it believes uh, that US nuclear weapons enhance our security. Mm. Uh, and the US uh, said very strongly to Australia that it shouldn't participate in the negotiations. And so uh, the Turnbull government just uh, took orders from the Trump administration. Okay, but I know from your work with um, MPs that it's that's not unanimously held by Australian politicians. Is there? Do you think was it the was it bipartisan in terms of the um, Labor Party as well holding that position, or, or where do you think um, there's traction within the Australian political? Scene. Yeah, there are, def- there are definitely um, parliamentarians and political parties in Australia that support uh, this treaty. Um, the Labor Party has a policy um, to promote the negotiations uh, and a number of its uh, senators and uh, members of the House of Reps have spoken out in favour of this. Um, the Greens also have um, a clear policy in support of this and uh, Scott Ludlam, who was at the time a mm. senator, 
took part in the negotiations uh, in New York, uh, and he said uh, in his speech to the negotiating conference that there are politicians in Australia and around the world who are very committed to ensuring that this treaty is a success. Uh, so I'm optimistic that one day our government will sign this treaty and will ratify the treaty um, that's going to require more hard work by us as a, as a civil society movement to put pressure on our politicians and to really put this issue um, out in the media and and kind of have a public conversation about it because, unfortunately, uh, given Australia's boycott, um, there perhaps hasn't been enough uh, discussion uh, about it and, and we really need to um, have much more of that. Are there plans going forward for how to... Um, I guess, continue the fight to rid the world of nuclear weapons and put that pressure on the nuclear weapons states and how the treaty will play into the, that strategy? Yeah, well, we, we've never seen this as an end in itself. We've always seen the treaty as a tool um, with which we would pursue our objectives. Um, mm. And so uh, I think this will be an opportunity for us to continue to mobilise, firstly to get countries to sign it, then to ratify it, and then uh, to implement all of the obligations under the treaty. Um, and we'll be coming together uh, every uh, year or two to discuss uh, implementation. So we'll continue to kind of use these uh, meetings of, of governments to um, hold them to account and, and mm. make sure that they do what they've said that they'll do uh, and really uh, hope that this will strengthen strengthen the global anti-nuclear movement. Mm. And it it seems like this uh, reaching this treaty was also an acknowledgement of survivors of nuclear weapons which have been used and tests and which does bring us to a sad note uh, here recently where the nuclear-free movement is grieving the loss of Yami Lester, who is one of the survivors of nuclear tests and a lifelong warrior on his country, um, and he fought for a nuclear-free world. Just wondering, Tim, if you have any words to share um, about Yami's story and how it's, um, it played into ICANN's work, or also um, any reflection on that, just as a close. Yeah, this is a really uh, big loss for our movement and, of course, a, a big personal loss for his family and friends. Uh, he made incredible contributions to the anti-nuclear cause, um, to raising awareness about the uh, ongoing health impacts of the nuclear tests in at Maralinga and Emu Field, um, but also for you know, fighting against um, the idea of a, an international nuclear waste dump and and ensuring that uh, the lands of Aboriginal people are protected um, and that these kinds of wrongs are never repeated. Mm. Um, so his story has certainly provided a lot of inspiration to people uh, across the country but also across the world. And uh, his daughter, uh, Karina, as I mentioned earlier, uh, actually spoke at the UN and she presented a, a statement on behalf of 35 uh, indigenous groups around the world 
Um, and she also spoke specifically about uh, the suffering of, of Yami and uh, her community. So um, that uh, story has, has been presented to the world stage um, on a number of occasions, in fact, because Yami had been involved in uh, getting a, a royal commission into the, the tests and he travelled to um, uh, to London, uh, I think, in the, the 80s to get mm. that set up. So this is a... Um, you know, something that he had worked on over many years. You've been hearing Tim Wright of ICANN discussing the July 2017 treaty banning nuclear bombs. Australia not only didn't sign on, but actually boycotted these treaty negotiations. To keep the pressure on at home, visit the ICANN website at icanw.org.au. And we now pay tribute to Yankunjara elder Yami Lester, who passed away on the 21st of July 2017. Yami Lester impacted so many with his stories of living through the British atomic tests, his ongoing determination to fight for justice, and contributions to nuclear free work and the returns of the APY lands to the Anangu, Pitinjara and Yankunjara peoples. I vividly remember meeting Yami on his country at Wallatilla Station in northern South Australia and hearing those very stories told with humour and hope for change. Here at the Radioactive Show, we pass on our support to his family and community in their time of grief. For now, I share with you just a sketch of his stories through some recordings of Yami Lester and his daughter Rosemary. The song played through these recordings is Marilinga which is about Yummy's story, and it's by Paul, Paul Kelly. Brought up on a station here at Walladina and um, learned to ride horses and uh, riding no saddles, they call it bareback, learning that way is to go mustering for cattle to next door station called Granite Downs and we used to walk them a long way from Lumbina Station, Granite Down and quite a few nights camping along the way and we come back here and uh, so it was pretty good I liked it Good fun. My name is Rose Lester and I come from the far north of South Australia, about 260 kilometres north of Coobapedi, from a homeland, Dad's homeland, called Wallatina. The traditional name of um, our homeland is Waljadara, and that's where Dad was born, in a creek nearby. Years ago, there was a big camp at Wallatina, People lived nearby on the sand hills. There was a small station there and a couple uh, Irish people had a goat and cattle business. In 1953, there was a, a EMU um, junction bomb test and... Uh, they started there first, the British, 
uh, and they moved down to Maralinka. We know today is Maralinka. But they were at Emu Junction first, which is 160 uh, k from here, Rualatin, south from here. And they let the first bomb go, Totem 1. going to happen on October 1953. The black mist rolled through the Mulga silently. First they heard a bang, a large bang and the ground shook and they were all camped and having breakfast when they heard that. The old people put their spears and their um, shields on front of their wilges, their humpies to protect them because they thought it was the great uh, water serpent making holes. This is a rain land. First we heard two big bangs. Thought it was the great snake digging a hole. And there was no help from the authorities at all. They actually made a mistake when they let that 30 kilotone bomb go that day. It was uh, plutonium enriched and they detonated it. Uh, they were a little bit impatient and they thought that the, the weather conditions were okay, but they weren't. And it got caught in a wind tunnel and travelled the 100 kilometres from the Emu Plains. A box upon our skin. We didn't know 
fifties, when they were do, doing the bomb test at EMU, um, we didn't have a friend then. We just didn't know. Anyway, Dad uh, was living in Alice Springs when Sir Ernest Titterton, the, the head scientist for the project, was talking on ABC and said that the natives were well looked after. Anyway, Dad was home. I remember the day he was home and he said, oh, bullshit, that's a big lie. So he rang up. Yeah, well... When I was working for Institute for Aboriginal Development in Alice Springs, one morning I was I had a flu and I didn't go to, to the office. I was home and I heard uh, on ABC program called AM program and Sir Ernest Titterton, he was an English scientist and boss and running in uh, Maralinga and uh, I remember patrol officer Mr. McDougall he used to come up and talk to the adults and and the adults would tell us as kids to come and piss off and you know you're making too much noise and all that and uh, but I learned later and uh, 1985, what what happened was, patrol officers used to talk and say how many people and put on a big book the names and and um, ask um, uh, not ask but tell them not to go south, walk down to the south of Walladinna. And uh, I remember all this, and I and I ring Adelaide Advertising, and I said, hey. Sir Ernest Titterton's talking a lot of rubbish. I remember what happened at my end. Mm. And um, I didn't know Adelaide Advertiser was working on uh, Maralinga um, bomb tests. And uh, I talked to the main one, and he had two fellows working with him. And he said, when I was talking to him, he said, I... He turned to the two fellows, he said, Hey, guys, we found the bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Saying what I knew. And uh, anyway, that's how it started. And um, I was talking a lot. And um, I asked um, Malcolm Fraser, when he was Prime Minister, for Royal Commission. He said, Nah, nothing doing. And um, when uh, Bob Hawke became a Prime Minister, so I went and asked him for Royal Commission, and he said, no, nothing doing. So Bijanjar Council told me, Yami, you're talking too much. Um, you go quiet now, and we can help you. And... Um, and um, I said, okay, I'll go quiet. And um, he got the Pizanda Council asked Uniting Church for money. And they um, sent me to uh, 
England, London, to talk to uh, scientific uh, people and to the Queen, but she was too busy to have a cup of tea and a cucumber sandwich with me. So anyway, that was okay. And uh, I meeting with scientific six fellows, very smart people. They weren't giving nothing away. And um, I had a meeting with them and come back and in 1984 and uh, 85, uh, Bob Hawke named the Royal Commission on the Maralinka, and that was very good. Uh, we um, couldn't prove anything because we never had a doctor's uh, medical report because when we got sick here, we never went to doctors, nothing. And near as the uh, clinic was Annabella, Presbyterian Mission, and uh, we didn't go there. We had no transport, only camels, and uh, no truck, nothing. And uh, in a Royal Commission, we couldn't prove anything like that. But what our lawyer did prove, there was radiation fallout over all the dinner. Mm. And that's all. Mm. So that was pretty good anyway by the lawyer. My name is Yami Lester. I hear I talk, I touch, but I am blind. South Australia government hasn't learned from other mistakes at Pukajima uh, um, and uh, other countries that happened a bad thing um, that just haven't learned um, and they give on pushing it ideas to uh, Anangu people it's uh, Aboriginal land and they want to uh, do the uh, nuclear there I don't know. I haven't learned anything. You have been hearing from Yami Lester, who sadly passed away on 21st of July in Alice Springs, and from his daughter, Rosemary Lester. The recordings are from previous 3CR Radioactive and Earth Matters shows, made by Jem Rommelt and Michaela Stubbs. I'm Emma Kefford. Earlier in the show, we heard from Tim Wright, the campaign director at ICANN, the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons. Thanks for joining us on the Radioactive Show this week. Produced in the studios of 3CR Melbourne on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people and heard nationally on the Community Radio Network. You can podcast our show from 3cr.org.au under programs you can find Radioactive or we're on Facebook. Music on today's show was Marilinga by Paul Kelly.